Good morning, Southview. We are so glad you are here worshiping with us today. Here are your big three announcements for this week. Parents, if you haven't already signed your children up for VBS week, it's the week of June the 5th. This year's theme is Following Jesus Changes the Game of Life. It's based off of Psalms 25.4, which says, Lord, make your ways known to me. Teach me your path. Come and be a part of something special as we continue to train our children up in the ways of the Lord. Simply text VBS Kids to 910-424-1298. Registration is now open for the 2023 Men's Retreat, September 29th through October 1st. Last year's retreat is amazing and you will not want to miss this year's. Cost for signing up for the retreat is $175 for adult men. Youth men is $150 and there's a $50 deposit upon signing up. Come be a part of something amazing by simply texting RETREAT to 910-424-1298. If you currently aren't serving somewhere, we encourage you to do so. Do you like to sing? Or maybe you like to dabble in the technical side. Well, we have the praise team ministry. Do you feel like you can teach? Well, we have an open ministry for the children and the youth. Or maybe you have that bubbly personality where you'd like to join our greetings ministry. Simply text the word SERVE to 910-424-1298 for more information on how you can get plugged in. We encourage everyone to download the Southview Baptist Church app from Google Play or iTunes. This will allow you to plug in to all of our other announcements, sign up for a journey group, view previous sermons, and even view the notes from today's sermon. There are multiple ways for you to give here at Southview. You can give through the app, or you can give through the giving boxes at the doors as you exit the sanctuary. If you're a guest visiting today, we are so glad that you're here. We would love to connect with you. Simply text the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298. This is how we can begin to get to know who you are. Pray for you so that we can minister to you. Thank you all again for joining us today. We pray that you're blessed by this service. Amen. Good morning, church. How is everyone today? Wonderful. We have one additional announcement for the men on uh, Saturday, uh, May 20th. We're going to have a, a bring your own steak uh, day to Southview. So if you're a man, if you like steak, if you're not, you need to find a different church. I'm just going to put that out there. But <laughs> May 20th, bring your own steak. Simply text the word steak to 910-424-1298. It's not about eating. It's about fellowshipping and building those relationships. So we're super excited about that. What could be better than steak or Jesus? Can I give you an amen? amen? Stand with us and let's sing. We believe. Let's sing.
we can break those chains of the flesh. And as we wrestle with these things, the word says that we don't wrestle against each other. We really wrestle against, against darkness, against the principalities of evil. And so my prayer is that we would be united as a church for the sole purpose of showing to the world what reconciled in Christ really means, not of our own abilities, but because Christ commands it and enables us to respond. He has rescued you. He has bought you with a terrible price. And we owe him everything. We celebrate these things, Lord, that you have rescued those unreachable, and I pray you will continue to do that work here today for the lost, for the broken, for the confused. Show us that our only hope is Jesus. In your name, we pray these things.
So my God story is a story of healing. Um, as a child, I was actually molested by a childhood friend and I um, wasn't really sure exactly what was going on. I didn't understand it. I couldn't explain it. And so for me, it was just something that I held in and I did not share it with anyone. A few years later, that childhood friend moved far, far away. And so in my mind, it was over. Um, went into my teenage years and um, I started questioning, where was God? Um, why did this happen to me? And all these questions just were really unanswered. I, I didn't have the answers. I couldn't find the answers. And so as a young adult, I just decided that I would take all these questions and all these thoughts and I would just pack them away in a part of my heart and I would just close it off. I was not gonna question it again. I wasn't gonna go there again and I was just gonna be done, and it was just going to be locked up in my heart. And I was gonna to try to have what you might say the perfect life. I was just going to try really hard to um, have the life that I thought would bring joy, would bring freedom, would bring peace. And so um, during my adult years, there were of course times where Hard times hit, things happened, and when things would go wrong, I would blame myself, and I thought it was my fault. And um, this kept going on and on, and all of these things were just causing a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, insecurity, and, um, and I couldn't really understand why. I didn't know where all this was coming from. And so this was probably at a time where it had been probably close to 30 years since I had seen um, this childhood friend. God started dealing with me about unpacking that part of my heart, about unpacking my past. And of course, I was initially pushing away and did not want to go there again because there were so many questions that I didn't have answers to. And so God kept prompting me and his spirit kept leading me to, to go there, to unpack. And so as we, I started unpacking my past, my feelings, my thoughts, my questions, um, 
God just started showing me how all these fears and these insecurities and anxieties really all went back to what I had experienced as a child. And, um, and I, I had pushed it away for so long, I had locked it away for so long that um, I even, I think to a certain degree, believed that it had never happened. And so the Spirit kept prompting me and kept leading me. And um, finally, I, I just came before God and I was like, God, I don't know what to do with this because I don't even really remember what happened. And it was as if God was saying to me, I was there. I know what happened. And so God, during that time, allowed me to start to remember what had happened to me as an eight-year-old girl. And he started to bring back the memories. And as the memories started coming back, I started to feel a new emotion that I had not felt before, and that was anger. And I was very angry at what had happened. I was very angry at my childhood friend. and. Um, I didn't know what to do with it and I it's like I came before God and I was like why do I remember to just be angry like this has not really helped me and the spirit was dealing with me and saying you need to release and you need to let go and you need to forget uh, actually forgive and um, and so I struggled with that um, the Spirit started teaching me a lot about forgiveness, what it was, what it was not, um, what forgiveness looked like. And God, during this whole time of unpacking my past, again, I had not seen this childhood friend for almost 30 years. This childhood friend contacted me on social media. And my first response was to delete, um, to ignore, to decline, to push away, but the Spirit said no. And so after a few days, I did accept this request. And this friend had sent me a message. And I really struggled. And the Spirit was just leading me to forgive. And so as the Spirit was reminding me of what had happened, He was also leading me to release that and to let it go. And so one day I sat down and I responded to that message. And I shared with my childhood friend the process what God was doing and how the things that had happened were not okay but that I was releasing and letting go and forgiving um, this friend of mine and I still cannot describe the freedom that I felt when I clicked sin when I pushed the sin button and it was there um, it was like a huge burden had been lifted. And so in this process, the Spirit was with me, God was with me, and as I look back now over my story, I can see that He was with me the whole way. He was there. Uh, in my teenage years, when I was wondering where He was, He was there. Um, and so God allowed me to remember in order that I could release my past um, and that, that I could live in peace. And that is the healing He brought. God is my healer of the hidden wounds that I had tucked away for so long. And my name is Luann Webb, and that is my God story.
In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And in that verse, it lays out a very important truth, in that it is possible for you, as a Christian, to hear things and know things, and deceive yourself into thinking that's enough, or, or, or you've got it covered, it's going to be okay. We deceive ourselves into thinking knowing is enough. But the scripture will go on and say, no, that's not enough. Don't deceive yourself into that. Actually do what it says. And as we see Luann's story, I think what we have is a testimony of not just simply knowing in your head what the Bible teaches about God's goodness in the midst of painful things, um, forgiveness, uh, allowing God to bring healing to past hurts. Not only do we see just the truth of those things, but, but actually being lived out in, in the fact that she would say, you know, the second I hit sinned, I felt the release. Why is that? Because the second she hit sin, she was not just hearing and knowing a thing, she was doing it. There's freedom and healing and empowerment in the doing. And I think that lines up really well with us today as we finish up our series in the book of Colossians. So as we've been going through the book of Colossians, we've been seeing how Jesus is great and glorious and mighty and strong. He's greater than everything. And as we see who he is, we're now empowered to walk in him as our great and glorious Savior, Lord, Master, and King. And then you get to chapter 4 of Colossians. And in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is laying out just some real practical things. The end of those kind of books in the New Testament, all the times we skip over because it feels rather like it doesn't make sense to us. Like he's just, you know, hey, say hey to Tychicus for me, right? Like, okay, I don't know what that has to do with me. But what we're going to see in this is the Apostle Paul is giving pastoral counsel to his church because he wants his church to live this out. Not just know a thing, not just believe a thing, but to actually live this. And so in chapter 4, as the book of Colossians ends, he's given this practical counsel of how to live this out. Look, if you're going to be a real follower of Christ, here's what you need to have in your life, guys. Here's what you need. If you're going to really follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, be formed into the image of Jesus, these are the things that need to be true in you. So we're going to do the exact same thing today, all right? We're going to finish up the book of Colossians, looking through Colossians chapter 4, and we're just going to pull out... A, all I want to do today is just going to pull out a few things, all right? We're going to pull out a few things that the Apostle Paul thinks that church needs to be walking in faithfully if they're going to really be followers of Christ. And I think the same thing for us. Like, I love you with all my heart. And I want to see God do amazing things in you as an individual and in our church as a whole. And in order for that to happen, there are some things that just need to be true in us. There need to be some things that we stop knowing merely and actually start doing. Okay? We need to go from knowing a thing to actually doing the thing because that is where true empowerment and healing and the abundant life of Christ is found. So Colossians chapter 4. All right, Colossians chapter 4. Um, and I just want to, again, I just want to run through the passage and highlight a few things, okay? Just some bullet point things that I want you to see that the Apostle Paul is, 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 is imparting to this church that I believe he also desires to impart to us through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that we can go from merely listening to actually doing. All right? So, Colossians chapter 4, first thing I want you to see is this. As a follower of Christ, 
you need prayer. Right? Right out of the gate as he's ending his final, hey, here's some things that I want you to know. The first thing on his list is prayer. So pick it up, Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly. It means to devote yourself to something. Some of your translations may even use the word devote. Devote yourself continuously to this. Uh, Continue steadfastly in this. Don't stop. So there's a difference between you doing something and you being devoted to that thing, right? If you want a living, breathing example of the difference between someone who does something and someone who's devoted to something, go to the gym. Right? You're going to see very real-life examples of people there that go to the gym because they know they need to. And they know they ought to. And they know they should. And so they drag themselves out of bed and they go to the gym and there is really easy to find excuses not to do it right and so they do it and they know they should do it when they don't do it they feel bad about it so they try to redouble their efforts like they do it so that group is clearly there all right they're the ones that always skip leg day okay then there are the people at the gym who are devoted to this thing like it's just their life now it's what they do Right? It's, it's the same as just breathing. Right? It's just what I do. I eat a certain way, and I work out, and I do these. Right? It's just they have completely devoted their life to it. You can do something, but it's not enough that you simply just do it. Are you devoted to it? And that's the way he's talking about prayer here. So let's chat about it just for a second. I think every person in this room who is a Christian would tell me that you pray. And I believe you. You pray. Right? You pray in the morning, or you'll pray at night, or you'll pray before meals, or you'll pray when, when things are really hard, and you know you need to go to the Lord in prayer, and so you go and pray. You, you do that. You, you do prayer. I think every Christian in the room would say that, and, and I think 100% mean that, and, and I believe you in that. But let me ask this. Would you, in all honesty, right, standing before Jesus himself, Would you say, my life is devoted to prayer? I I don't just do it when when it pops in my head or when the stuff hits the fan or when I know it's time to go to bed and I always say my prayers. It's It's not just a thing that I do. I'm devoted to it. I continue in this with steadfastness. Right? He, he, He says there in verse 2, uh, that he's watchful in it with thanksgiving. He pays close attention to this. Are you devoted to prayer? What if someone secretly followed you for a day? Would they look at your life and from that be able to ascertain that's a person that knows they desperately need God, and they live every moment completely devoted and dependent on Him. Because being devoted to prayer isn't about a thing that you need to do. What allows you to be devoted to prayer is not you learning better how to pray. What allows you to be devoted to prayer is not you making sure you set the alarm a few minutes early. What allows you to be devoted to prayer is not you have an accountability partner who's going to text you that day and ask you if you prayed. Those things will help you in doing prayer, but they will not aid you in being devoted to prayer. So how do we jump from doing to devoted? What allows you to jump from doing prayer to be devoted to prayer is when in your heart you genuinely believe you have nothing 
else you can do but fall on God. You have exhausted everything else. You know the strength is not in you. The ability is not in you. The wisdom is not in you. You desperately need God. So you fling yourself onto him, devoting yourself in prayer. That's the key. That takes you from doing to devoting. Do you in your heart believe that you genuinely are dead in the water apart from God? You can't do it apart from him. I can't live apart from him. I can't follow Christ apart from him. I can't be a, a, a husband or a dad or a friend or what, apart from him. I can't do anything apart from him. I devote myself to God in prayer because I need him. That's going to be the key. And he says this here, again, within this context of this church, and he's wanting them to see the bigness of Christ and be changed by the bigness of Christ. And in the process of that, one of the practical things that he says is, you need to devote yourself in prayer for this. You can't live in Christ apart from devotion to prayer. John 15, you must abide in Christ, live in Christ, be hooked to Christ, devote yourself to him in prayer so that you can now live out and bear out the fruit that he has for you. Be honest, just you and God right now. Do you do prayer or are you devoted to it? Do you just do it or are you devoted to it? And commit today that you're going to make that leap, and the way you're going to make that leap is by the Spirit of God showing you you have no other hope but that. Like you just can't. One of the best things God can do in your life and this, this, this sounds counterintuitive, um, but one of the best things God can do in your life is let you fall flat on your face. That is the grace of God. I praise God. Now, at the time I did not, right? Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but is painful, right? One of the great nod verses of the entire Bible. No discipline seems pleasant. It's all painful. No one likes it. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who will be trained up by it. One of the greatest things God's ever done in my life is to let me fail. It's one of the greatest things God's ever done for me, to let me crash and burn and just face plant and eat it. Because it's a great reminder that I desperately need him. And that's what empowers me to seek to be more so, not perfectly, but more so devoted to prayer. Because i got to have him. I can't do it without him. Not only that, he goes on to explain what we should pray for. Pick that up real quick in verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul's in jail, and he's sending out a prayer request. And his prayer request is not, pray God gets me out of here. Which I'm not going to lie, would absolutely be my prayer request. Right? If I'm in jail, and I can fire off one email to you all of what you can pray for me, you know what my prayer request is going to be? Get me out of here! He doesn't do that. He doesn't pray for his circumstance to change. He prays that God would, be in, would empower him to glorify God in the midst of the circumstance. While I'm here in chains, pray that God gives me opportunities and boldness and courage to open my mouth and speak how I know I'm supposed to speak, to proclaim the gospel like I know I'm supposed to proclaim the gospel. 
right? He's calling them to be devoted to prayer. Saying, hey, while you're praying, how about pray for me? And pray for me that I would speak how I ought to speak. And then coming off the heels of that, he gives us the next thing in verse 5, which is going to be, as followers of Christ, you need to live and speak with wisdom and grace. Pick that up in verse 5. Again, so he's like, hey, you guys need to continue steadfastly in prayer. While you're praying, pray for me. Pray that I would speak how I ought to speak. While I'm talking about how we speak, let's chat about how you speak. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So he tells them to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. He's speaking about non-believers. He's talking about sharing the gospel. He says you need to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. In other words, don't waste opportunities. And when you have opportunities, speak in a way that's wise and gracious and loving and winsome. Right? Engage in a way where you actually care about them. How do you speak towards outsiders? How do you speak to those who aren't in the faith? arguing, yelling, screaming, or walking in a way that's wise, making the best use of the time. And then he specifically addresses how we should talk when we speak. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious. Let your speech always. Regardless of circumstance, regardless of situation, regardless of how they talk to you, let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt. So how, how does it, what, what does that mean, season with salt? So in this time, salt kind of had two purposes, to preserve and to make things taste good, right? And so one, speak words that are eternal. Speak words that preserve. Speak words that, that, that don't cause decay. Speak words that, that, that bring life. And then, make it taste good. Because you're in the conversation, the conversation should go better, not worse. The conversation should taste better because you're engaged with it. Let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Now look at this last phrase. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I think that phrase is super duper important. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So let's talk about just practically just for a second. Not you because you're perfect, but I'll just throw me out as an example. When you need to talk to someone about something, and you know you need to do that, and you set up the appointment, and hey, we're going to go get coffee, or I'm going to go to their house, or we're going to blah, 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 whatever, right? You're going to talk to them. How does that work? You know you're going to talk to them. You know when you're going to talk to them. So what do you do? You rehearse in detail everything you're going to say. Right? You think about it. You prepare your heart. You prepare your mind. You prepare what you're going to say. You think about the tone in which you're going to say it. You think about what your face is going to look like, right? Because if you have a teenager, you've said fix your face, right? The words coming out of your mouth don't fix, don't fit your face, right? So, so you've, you've thought about that, what you're going to look, you've even reminded yourself, smile when I talk, smile when I talk, right? You've, you have thought in great detail as to how you're going to do it, which is good. You should totally do that. 
Right? You've prayed and said, God, help me. You've got other people praying for you. People are pray- praying and fasting with sackcloth and ashes so that you're going to go in and you're going to say what you need to say and the way you're going to say it. Right? You've thought long and hard. And you're able to do that and usually do it well. However, isn't it a completely different ballgame when they're the one talking to you and on the fly, you now have to respond? Oh, junk. Right? This is usually when the wheels fall off. Right? As long as you've been able to think through what you're going to say and how you're going to say it and the way you're going to say it and what your face is going to look like, and that, as long as you've been able to control the situation, you've been able to be at peace. What happens when you can't control what comes out of their mouth and you now have to respond? Now we see who really controls what you say, you or Jesus. Now, this is the real test of am I surrendered to the Spirit of God? Do I say what God wants me to say? Do I speak graciously? Are my words seasoned with salt? When you're the one initiating and planning ahead what you're going to say, it's easy to think through that. And it's good. But when you've got to respond, this is now when it really shows... Who's driving the ship here? Is it you or is is it the Spirit of God? So we are to let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So think about this practically in our walk with Christ. Um. One of the primary ways that God has set up for you to grow in the faith is you rubbing up against other people. And we'll chat about that here in just a second a little more in depth. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. A lot of times that's used within the context of a good relationship, which is right. Right? Two brothers in Christ, two sisters in Christ who love one another and commit to accountability and hold one another accountable and sharpen one another. That's absolutely true. But you know who also sharpens you? People you don't necessarily like. People who don't speak to you kindly. You know who primarily sharpens you? The people who speak to you in a way that's ungracious and unkind, and now you have to respond in a way that is gracious and kind. That is what's going to knock off the dull edges and really make you sharp. How do you respond? God desires for you to grow significantly in your faith. One of the primary ways he's going to do that is by you rubbing up against other people. And he tells you right here in Colossians 4, when you do that, here's how I want you to respond. Respond like this. It takes humility. It takes grace. It takes patience. All of which are things that God himself places inside of you through faith in Christ. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus' life inside of you. And respond in a way that's gracious and kind. Think about our church, all right? Southview Baptist Church. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a church where people speak to one another like that? I'd sign up. Like, I'd join tomorrow. Wait, a church where 
everyone talks to one another graciously and kindly, and they respond with grace and love always, that sounds great. And it's almost like the Bible tells us to do it. Right? It's, it's almost like we've got a verse. Doesn't that sound? Again, what draws, again, it's within the context, again, in verse 5 of how we deal with the outside world. What draws people in isn't so much the truth that we proclaim, but the grace in which we proclaim it. That's why in John 1 it says that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. When he can look at a woman caught in the middle of adultery and say, I love you and I do not hold sin against you, yet you will now stand up and go sin no more. Right, it's, it's grace and truth. Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? I know I do. And listen, we're not perfect in this. I, I, I was trying to, to, to think of all the times where I messed this up and I lost count. Where I did not respond in a way that was gracious. And I did not respond in a way that was kind. There are people probably in this room that can raise their hand and go, yep, I've been in a conversation with you where you did not do that. Yeah, not perfect. But man, I see God's word pointing me to something. And I want to just not, just, just throw that off. I want James 1.22 to be alive in me. I don't want to just listen to that merely and deceive myself into thinking, yeah, 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 that's good. I want to actually do what it says. And I want you to do the same thing. So with this idea of, of interacting with one another, it brings us to my next thing I want to show you. As followers of Christ, you need godly people in your life. And so starting in verse 7, he gives kind of this list of people that he's like, hey, this guy, this guy, this lady, this lady. So, so look at everyone that he mentions. Verse 7, he talks about Tychicus. And he says he's a beloved brother and faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord, and he's been sent by Paul to encourage their hearts. Verse 9, he mentions a guy named Onesimus. We'll talk about more of him in a second. He says he's a faithful and beloved brother. Verses 10 and 11, he mentions Aristarchus, Mark, and uh, Justice, and he says that they have brought much comfort to Paul. Verses 12 and 13 have a guy named Epaphras. It says that he has served them well and prayed hard for them well so that they can be fully established in the Lord. Verse 14, he mentions Luke and Demas. Um, Luke, the beloved physician, uh, Demas, actually, interestingly, if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, Demas uh, is mentioned by Paul as a guy who abandoned Paul because he loves the world more than he loves God. And so it's not about starting well, it's about finishing well. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Apparently Nympha is a lady who is loving Jesus and serving Jesus and following Jesus. And Paul wants to point her out as someone who is doing that. Down in verse 17, and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Apparently, Archippus is this young man who has been called by God for a ministry, and he's kind of struggling to live that out. And so he, Paul tells the church, I love it, this is a letter read, read in front of the entire congregation. He's like, and my boy Archippus. He must have been like, uh-oh. Hey, you guys, encourage him. God's hand is on him. Don't let him stop. Let him fulfill this. Push him forward to fulfill it. What do we see in all of this? We need the body of Christ. If the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, needed people, he's asking them to pray for them and encourage them. He's thanking them for comforting them. He's thanking them for helping him in his travels. If, if, if he needs the body of Christ, 
How much more do we? I tell you this all the time, and I'm going to keep telling you this until Jesus kicks me out of here. If, now again, if, if, if you're new here and you're just trying to figure out if we're a cult or not, we're glad that you're here. Keep sticking, right? Just keep sitting there. But if you've been here for any significant length of time, and the extent of your involvement here is still just sitting in this room right now, I want to encourage you. There's an entire level of spiritual growth that you are completely and totally missing. You're completely missing. We need the body. We need each other. You need people that can pour into you. And you need people that you can pour into in service. Not just about you being ministered to other people. You need to minister to them. Right? I mean, if all you do is eat, 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 and never work out, you're going to become very unhealthy. Same thing spiritually. If all you do is sit in a room and consume, 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 and never actually work that out and serve anyone else, you will become spiritually unhealthy. Which again is James 1.22. Right? I, we have people that are literally living this verse out. You're merely listening, and you're deceiving yourself into thinking that's all you need to do. It's not. Actually do the things. Right? Don't just merely listen and deceive yourself. Do what it says. We need the body. We need each other. You need this place. Get connected. Find people that can love you and encourage you, people that you can love and encourage. It will radically change your walk with the Lord. And then I want to show you this. As followers of Christ, we need grace and forgiveness. I want to highlight two guys in this list that we mentioned, all right? Verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, we see a guy named Onesimus. It says, Onesimus, our fellow and beloved brother, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. And then in verse 10, we see Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So who are these guys? So Onesimus. Um, uh, don't turn there, but if you did, you got your Bible open to Colossians. If you went to the right, you're going to find 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Then after Titus, you're going to find a little tiny book called Philemon. It's probably a book of the Bible you did not know how to pronounce and you've never read. Okay? Philemon. Who is Philemon? What is that book? Philemon was a wealthy businessman and Christian and member of the Colossian church. He lives in Colossae. He's a wealthy businessman and he's a part of that congregation. Now, I told you last week, as we went through the book of Colossians, that um, slavery and bond servants were a major part of Roman culture. About half the Roman Empire was made up of some kind of bond servant, some kind of slave. And I said that that's, can hold all kinds of capacities. Kind of economically, you had really, really wealthy people and really, really dirt poor people living in the streets. And there wasn't much of a middle class. And so if you weren't wealthy and you didn't want to live on the streets... You typically gave yourself as a bondservant to someone who was wealthy and you lived for them and worked for them and served their family, right? That's how you kind of stayed in the, the middle class. So Philemon's a very wealthy man and he has a bondservant named Onesimus. 
At some point, we don't know the story, we don't know the situation, we don't know the circumstances of Onesimus being a bondservant of Philemon, but at some point, Onesimus runs away. He runs away from Philemon, his master, and he runs to Rome. Rome was the largest city in the world. He figured, I'm going to go there, I'll blend in with the servant population, and no one's going to find me, I'll live the rest of my days, I'll be great. So he runs away to Rome. Providence of God. Don't you love it when God's like, So he goes to Rome, a city of a million people. And who does he meet? Some weird street preacher named Paul. And Paul leads Onesimus to faith in Christ. And he starts discipling Onesimus and raising up Onesimus in the ministry. Onesimus becomes a valuable part of Paul's ministry. In the process of all that discipleship, a conversation ensued. Onesimus is like, you know, I I used to be a, a slave. Paul's like, really? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm from the city of Colossae. Paul's like, Colossae? I've got friends in Colossae. He's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you probably never met my master. He's a, he's a guy named Philemon. Paul's like, shut up. I know Philemon. He's my boy. Absolutely. And so the Onesimus begins to grow and grow and grow. And there comes a point where Paul looks at Onesimus and says, Onesimus, look, here's the thing. You're now a follower of Christ. Philemon is a follower of Christ. You are brothers in Christ, and there's division between you, and that's not something that's okay. We got to get this right. So here's what we're going to do. I've already written a letter to the church in Colossae. Tychicus is going to take that with him and deliver that for me. Um, I'm going to write a letter specifically to Philemon. I'm going to get it to you. I want you to walk with Tychicus to Colossae and hand deliver that letter to Philemon. And Onesimus must have looked at him and said, you're crazy. Like you have law. These Roman guards beat you one too many times, man. We got a screw loose. You know, if I go back to Colossae, according to Roman law, what happens to me? I can't go back. And Paul says, nope, this is what you need to do. So Onesimus goes with Tychicus and walks 1,500 miles. I want you to hear this. He's so committed to reconciliation that he walked 1,500 miles not knowing if he might be killed when he gets there. And how many of us don't walk across this room to reconcile with the brother or sister that you're wrong with? He walks 1,500 miles and hand delivers this letter to Philemon. And Philemon opens it. It's a great read. I encourage you to read it this afternoon. It's really short. Paul tells Philemon, look, I know the story. I know Onesimus. I know what's going on. Look, he's a believer now. He's a brother in Christ. He's been very, very beneficial and useful to me in the ministry. And now he's your brother in Christ. And I want you to reconcile. And whatever money he owes you, put it on my account. I'll pay for it. He adds a little part in there. He's like, but by the way, you owe me a lot also. I'm just throwing it out there, but whatever. Just just put it on my account, right? Paul's cool like that. He's a little sneaky. He's like, I'll take it. Not that you don't owe me anything, but whatever, whatever. That's fine. We'll figure it out. 
but he's presenting Onesimus to Philemon and saying, look what he says there again in Colossians 4, 9. Who is Onesimus? He doesn't say, here is Onesimus, your former slave. Here's Onesimus, the criminal. Here's Onesimus, the man that robbed you and owes you money. What is he saying? Here's Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. He's not an outsider anymore. He's not just your former bondservant anymore. He's your brother in Christ. Forgive him. Forgive him. For you. Is there someone that you need to forgive? And you need to reconcile with? It's time to stop being merely a listener and deceive yourself. It's time to actually do it. What a great testimony. Onesimus and Philemon. Two men that should hate each other. Two men that should spend the rest of their lives at odds with one another. But instead they come together and they reconcile and they forgive one another and they love one another. And then there's the other guy, Mark. Verse 10. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. So who's Mark? So if you were to go back in the book of Acts, what you'll find is this. Paul and Barnabas have a third companion. It's Barnabas' cousin named Mark. And they go on a missionary journey together. And at some point, they come to a place called Pamphylia. It's kind of up in the mountains. It's difficult. It's, it's, it's rough terrain. It's hard. And Mark quits. He quits. I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. And Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas high and dry and goes home. Later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, it says that Paul and Barnabas are about to go on another missionary journey. And Barnabas says, hey, I want to bring Mark with me. And you know what Paul says? No. No, he can't come. Barnabas like, it's my cousin, man. It's going to get awkward. Like, he's got to come. Paul says, no. It's not wise for us to bring someone who left us last time. It's just not wise. I, I, I don't think that's good for us to do. I'm not doing it. And in Acts chapter 15, it says, a sharp disagreement arose between Paul and Barnabas, and they went their separate ways. It's the first church split. They went their separate ways, Paul and Silas this way, Barnabas and Mark that way. And this isn't even the first time Mark's done this. If you go back to Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus is betrayed, it says that there's a little section there that says, there was a young man there with Jesus there in uh, the garden. And when the soldiers came, he got scared and he ran. And one of the soldiers grabbed his robe to pull him back. And he ran out of his clothes and ran away naked. Right? So Mark's got a history of running. Mark has a history of quitting when it gets hard. I mean, he ran naked away from Jesus. He left Paul and Barnabas up in the mountains like, peace, I'm out, gone. Too hard for me, I'm not doing it anymore. 
He just went home. This isn't a one-off. This is kind of a thing for Mark now. So Paul says, no, I'm not, I'm not bringing him. And this sharp division happens and a split happens and they go their separate ways. And we don't hear anything else about Mark until Colossians 4 verse 10. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. What's going on here? The Apostle Paul is restoring Mark to ministry. He's restoring him. Apparently, it's off script. We don't see it happening, but apparently a conversation has happened between Paul and Mark. Mark has come to Paul. He's confessed his sin. He's asked Paul to forgive him. Paul, of course, did. He raised him up. And I want you to see a couple of things. Number one is this. When Mark bolted on Paul and Barnabas, Paul did not sweep that under the rug as no big deal. When Mark sinned, Paul didn't just say, well, it's just Mark being Mark. He'll be all right. Let's bring him back on the team. Come on. No, there are things that need to be worked out here. This has got to be worked out in Mark before I bring him back on. Like, this has got to be dealt with. So praise God for people in our lives who have the guts to look at us and go, look, I, I, I just can't pretend like that didn't happen. That's a thing. We need to talk about that. But I want you to see how Paul restored him. And just because Mark sinned in the past, that does not mark and identify him who he is today. He was restored and redeemed and put right back in a spot of ministry. And for you, your former sin does not have to be the thing that defines you today. Mark was not marked by his sin. Mark was marked by his faith in Jesus. Your sin doesn't have to mark you either. For us as a congregation, what I want is, I want us to be a place where if you were in the past somewhere, or maybe even here or whatever, and again, you you crashed and burned, and you just bit it. I want you to know we desire to be a place here that does not pretend like that sin didn't happen. We get it. We want to walk through that and help that and and make sure there's repentance there and all of that. But we want to see you restored in the Lord. We want to see you used faithfully in ministry. You've got an opportunity to share a story of redemption and grace and second chances. That's the story of Mark. Redemption and grace second chances. So as we see the book of Colossians ending, let me just ask you a couple of questions. As we looked at the difference between doing prayer and being devoted to prayer, were you convicted of that at all? Did something kind of stir up in your spirit where you said, yeah, that's that's me. I do it. I don't know if I would say I'm devoted to it. I want to encourage you today. Do something about that. Said that before the Lord. Confess that to the Lord. Ask God to empower you to be devoted in prayer. As we see teaching on how we speak to one another, was that a conviction point for you? Did God convict your heart of the way you talk? The way you interact? The way you respond? 
Your words not always being gracious and not always seasoned with salt. Did God bring conviction there? If so, don't just sweep that under the rug. Call out to him today. Call out to him. Jesus, I see this. I confess this is sin. I don't want to walk in this. I want to be filled and empowered and led by the Holy Spirit in everything that I say. I want my speech to be gracious. I want it to be seasoned with salt. I want to respond in a way that is right and appropriate. Jesus, help me. When we saw the body and all the different people and how they were used, were you convicted about your lack of involvement with the body of Christ? Do something about that. Don't just merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do something about that. Confess that as sin. Ask the Lord to empower you. Open up opportunities. You'll step forward by faith, looking for ways to engage with the body of Christ. What about when we see the need for grace and forgiveness? Is that a conviction point for you? Is there someone that you've sinned against that you need to go to? Is there someone who sinned against you that you need to forgive? Is there something in your past that is holding you back from really walking in the Lord today because you're so stuck on that, you can't move forward? Today, confess all of that to the Lord. Confess it to Him. This is about you walking out this faith, not just saying the words or believing the things. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. And... Today, as we as we wrap up in this, this book of Colossians, as we think through all that the Lord has said to us, we see the, the, the glory of Jesus, the bigness of Jesus, how amazing and colossal Jesus is. It stirs up in us a desire to love him and serve him and pursue him. And we see things in our lives that don't line up with that and we want to walk faithfully. I want to encourage you today. Don't leave this place without confessing those things, pursuing Jesus for this, and asking him to make these things true in you. That you will step out in faith and you'll do the work. You'll step out and you'll pursue the Lord to walk in holiness and righteousness and truth. So Jesus, I pray for us today that we'll do this, that we will live in this, that we will confess the things that we need to confess. We'll remove the things in our lives that need to be removed. We'll grow in the areas that you're showing us that we need to grow in because we want to follow you, Jesus, with all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our mind. Do this in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, guys, if you will. You're welcome to come forward and pray here. Grab someone to pray with you. But let's end our time here today worshiping Jesus, being serious about the things that we need to set before him, and asking him to keep doing amazing things in our lives. Let's pray.